Welcome, everybody, to the last episode of season one of The Psychologists Are In. Ah, I cannot believe it. I'm Maggie Lawson. And I'm her podcast partner in crime, Timothy Albertson. And today we have an incredible episode for you guys. It's Roday Day. This week, we are talking to Jums about season one, episode 15, Scary Sherry, Bianca's Toast, one of my all-time faves. I cannot believe this whole uh, season has gone by already. I just can't believe it. I guess time flies when you're podcasting the shit out of it. Hi, Tim. Hi, Jums. Hello, team. Hello. Thank you so much for coming back and being with us and talking about, um, well, my favorite episode of season one, one of my favorite episodes of the series. And um, we know you're super duper duper busy. So thanks. I think you I think you added an extra duper. And I just, I don't want to be hyperbolic. I don't want to editorialize. I'm just super duper busy. <laughs> okay. So it's just the super duper, not the super duper. You know what it was? It was because I just watched Scary Sherry and and where it would normally be, you crazy, crazy, crazy bitch, we added a fourth. Mm-hmm. I think I'm in the mode of of one more for effect. Right. Your your real life lexicon was informed by exactly. something that we did in 2006. I get Absolutely. It. it still is all the time. So was it written as three and then you made it four? No, I think it was written as four. Pretty wild for the time. It's less wild by today's standards, but <laughs> I think... The 2006 Four Crazies was... It was unprecedented. That was unprecedented. <laughs> especially, Cutting especially on the USA Network, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a, that was great. Oh, my God. This is what I... Okay, so I go back. I'm, I mean, I'm, I get, I'm giddy every time I watch this episode. I mean, I'm giddy in the episode because I'm playing a sorority girl um, over the top, but... Your giddy is way past 11 on this one. Wait, 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 way past 11. And it was the beginning, I feel like, of the undercover uh, Juliet taking things too far. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was thinking about how, Joms, this was, this was like the first, first episode you wrote for the show. And I know you wrote it with Steve, but this is really your episode. And already, like, it, it was season one and, oh, Claude. Hi. <laughs> oh, I love it. Mode? I was hoping we were going to see him. Um, but it 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 remains, I think, up there with uh, our top, a handful of top favorite episodes of Psych ever. Like you were already, you were already that good. Well, uh, there's some caveats. Uh, first one being it was the first thing I had written that was made for television, period, not just our show. Um, so, so that was a first, um, it was all Steve Frank's idea coming to me and saying, Hey, do you want to do a scary episode? Cause that feels like it could be fun, but I'm not a, I'm not really a scary movie guy. I know you are. How about we do it together? So again, it was the generosity, um, of, of Steve being Steve that led to, to it even happening. And then it was, uh, me having to sort of learn quickly uh, all the things that you could and couldn't do, um, and, and get, and get by standards and practices, which was, I think a challenge that Steve probably didn't necessarily see, see coming. Um, but he was very patient with me. And it's funny looking back now, like knowing everything we did after that, uh, and sort of where the pocket was and, 
and where our show really lived and thrived. Uh, to go back and think about some of the things that I wanted to put in that episode that were so inappropriate and which and we're what, going to ask you about, of course, you know, and so. not our show in any way, shape, or form. Um, I <laughs> again, props to Steve for like doing a lot of like, uh huh, uh huh, yeah, we could uh-huh. do that, we could do that, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> uh, so it was a learning experience to be sure, um, but also very special. Uh, you know, we were all fans of John Landis, and and when we pitched the idea of him directing it, it was sort of like pie in the sky, sort of, wow, can you imagine if, like, if John Landis came in and directed this episode, how crazy that would be? Uh, not thinking that there was any real chance of that happening. So it was, we kind of dreamed it, we dreamed it into into reality. And that was just another sort of element of that, of that episode that made it, like, you know, by iconic uh mm. f- for us and and really sort of stamped the show with with something that we hadn't yet stamped it with mm-hmm. i think allowed us to start sort of spreading our wings a little bit the fact that they let you still film the naked pillow fight in the sorority house even though it didn't make the cut really <laughs> um, I know. I was like, tell us about these inappropriate. uh, I know one. I think, yeah. The one I remember the best, it was uh, the way I wanted to kill Bianca, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was 100% fine, was that um, Alice, I was able to rewatch the episode this morning, by the way, which I I haven't seen in 15 years. Um, First of all, how were any of us ever that young it doesn't seem like it's how but we were um you haven't aged a day joms oh my gosh thank you for saying that but, and tim uh, I, tim gets better like mine so i just felt like i was watching muppet babies um, <laughs> um i i thought it would be fun to have alice dre- dressed in a suit of armor first of all i thought it would be fun to have a suit of armor at the top of the <laughs> stairs in the sorority what? house with like with like a coat of arms for whatever the name of the sorority was. Sure. And holding an axe. Just lives there. That's where it lives. Well, Always. look, it's Greek, right? It's sorority. They're all Greek, Greek names, Greek gods. Go ahead. 100% knight in shining armor, holding a giant axe uh, in the sorority house. And then uh, once everybody left and it was just Bianca, we did like a, a sort of a scream-esque sequence where she was hearing stuff and, and getting rattled and... Uh, and all the while, uh, Alice is in the suit of armor waiting for her uh, to come around the corner, down with the axe, mm. ba- chops off Bianca's head, head bounces down the stairs, one stair at a time, lands just perfectly on the bottom stair. And the reason I thought we could get away with it um, is because, you know how they say when the head becomes detached from the body, your synopsis are still mm-hmm, firing off mm-hmm. long enough to recognize what happened before you die. Like, boom, doom, 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 land. And then, uh, you know, Bianca actually said something, uh, like, <laughs> like, 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 oh like, or something, you know, that was like silly <laughs> and, and, and sorority appropriate. And uh. I just thought, this is this is a barn burning sequence like Mm -hmm. this is one for the ages and uh and i remember steve coming back and going ah i don't i don't 
think, <laughs> he's so sweet. I don't think Aww. we can be, we can do a beheading. Um, he didn't so want to I, tell you no. Yeah. And so then I was like, oh, let's pull it back. Maybe you don't have to see the head bounce down every stair. And, and obviously it was that we couldn't do it at all. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely needed to sort of uh, be reeled in. It was my first go around and I was just swinging for the fences. Um, but it was a really good exercise in like learning like what our show could be and what it couldn't be. And, and me checking some stuff at the door um, and, and, and recognizing that scary, scary psych doesn't mean scary, you know, real what, scary, yeah, real scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it is, there are moments that whole beginning is actually, very scary. Um, the stuff that I think, like the open, the flashback, um, is is really spooky. And then, um, I mean, even that. I know it wasn't what you originally planned, but like even the toaster coming down the wall with the thing opening. I mean, it's. I don't know. Like I, I feel like real time murder. We don't see a lot on the show. Not that we saw it, but like, you know, the lights flicker and we know what's happened. And I come out of the thing like that was also kind of like. A, a push for us. The whole thing also had a very Landis flavor. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, seeing Bianca, seeing the window open, seeing the toaster start to slowly kind of <laughs> creep down. It was very, uh, it's very his brand of comedy, um, which he pushed even further um, when we came back after that hiatus and, yeah. and, and worked with him again. Um but that was the other thing, like for everything that we were doing right and kind of learning uh, over the course of the first season, having someone like Landis, who is, uh, you know, a, a master of comedy and comedy horror, and horror. specifically, mm-hmm. kind of come in and do his thing on top of that, um, I think really sort of catapulted us. Um, I know we've we've always we've said this before when we're on panels and stuff, but that that sort of perfect combination creatively on that episode um i think deserves a lot of credit for for us you know being willing to sort of take some bigger swings moving forward yeah um, had we failed miserably we probably wouldn't have done that but because the episode right. worked um yeah i kind of just we sort of saw the possibilities in a, in a very sort of exciting oh my gosh sort of way uh, but also it was it was the first time we sort of put Juliet front and center um, in an episode and kind of had her driving the train, which was also very exciting. Um, you know, we've done 15 and so or so much of the comedy years. is really uh, driven by O'Hara in this one. hundred percent. And that was sort of the last piece of of the season one puzzle was like, we've got all these incredible uh, tools um, in our cast. And now we kind of know that, you know, they're to an extent they're interchangeable and, and we can kind of use all of them how, however we want and, you know, in order to achieve whatever story that we're trying to tell. And and up to that point, we hadn't quite given Juliet the nudge. Uh, and then we also, you know, you you delivered in spades. So we you hopped on that horse and ran that. Song. Yeah. Well, it was a it was a going undercover and that's the word I I got to say, holy shit, Sue, guys, come on. Um, Did you already have, you're obviously horror anyway, and Tuesday 17th, we're going to have you back for so many. Um, But 
did you know going in or did you already have sort of a, a plan or like what what about a sorority house? What about like, I mean, because so much happened, like the you and Gus too being scared, the whole B story with with Gooch and and <laughs> Tim, like, did you have any of this? Like, where did it where did it originally kind of start from? Well, the seed of let's put Juliet undercover <clears throat> and and knowing that you looked like you could be 12. in college at the time <laughs> uh, got us to sorority. Okay. And then because because it was supposed to be a sort of Halloween scary episode, it was very easy for me to then say, "Oh, well, then we're just going to do uh, sorority house massacre or Black Christmas, or we're just we're going to go after that little you know sorority girls in peril subgenre." Um, and then I think the Goochberg storyline, if I remember correctly, was something that had kind of been locked and loaded and on the board uh, for for the season, but hadn't quite there hadn't been able to slot it in yet. Uh, but the Goochberg character was was someone that Steve had had ready to go, and we knew that we knew that we wanted Goochberg to be paired up with Lassiter. And this episode didn't have a B story, so I think it was like, oh, great, we can finally do the Goochberg thing, and plugged it right in. Um, which was also, I think, the first time we had. There's a lot of firsts in this episode, but yeah, I think it was the first time that we did two two stories that didn't dovetail like they didn't mm -hmm. come together at all it was just your a stories over here and your b stories open and closed over here and it's totally allowed to be its own thing um which also set a precedent that we went back to a couple times tuesday the 17th being the perfect example of like hey we we have such a great cast of characters and our actors are so strong we can isolate one of them in a b story and we can cut to it three or four times and won't feel like, you know, we're missing what's happening in the A story um, because we got the people that can kind of keep the ball in the air. So that was also right. an important thing to succeed at um, because it helped us moving forward. And that was all Tim and, and Mercedes rule. So good. I mean, the category on our show was just crazy to me. And John yeah. Landis directing and uh, our season finale season. It was, it was, it was, it was pretty magical. It was a real magical coming together of, yeah. It felt elevated, you know, and, and we had been in this little bubble uh, unaware of how this show was being received or if anybody was going to care and, uh, and, and, and knowing maybe it wasn't something that we were openly talking about, but like we knew that like, we weren't attracting the biggest guest stars that you could get. Uh, you know, we had some really fun people come up and play with the season one, but the pool wasn't super deep. And then all of a sudden we have, you know, Academy Award winner Mercedes Rule and the guy who directed American Werewolf in London and Blues Brothers and Three Amigos. And all of a sudden it was like, wow, we're a show. We're, we're in the cool crowd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one thing early on that I thought was really funny um, that I wonder if people have ever put together is Shalan, who uh, does the, is Bianca, uh, blinking and so blinking good. and blinking. She's so good. Um, uh, was, wasn't Shalan the girl in the pilot that you are making out with when you come in the door in the very, very, very beginning of the show? I am almost positive it is. Oh my god! When she came back, she is the girl in the pilot. 
which is a seek which is a scene that we reshot and i i remember it was two different girls so, <laughs> so if she is the girl she was the second girl yeah because we actually we reshot that uh that oh, coming in making out sequence oh my god yeah i'm almost positive go it's her yeah and wow crystal um, who is Eden, uh, Eden, uh, or I forget who she is. She comes out and at one point gives me like a thing, you'll, you know, she's uh, yeah, one yeah, of the Serta girls or yeah. whatever. So funny. I ran into her like six, six months ago or something. And we, she was, uh, at a restaurant and it was one of the like first times out. And I really wasn't comfortable taking my mask off and she had to wear her mask. And so we had talked for a while not knowing. And then finally she was like, Oh, what are you doing? I was like, Oh, I'm actually getting ready to go to Vancouver. And she's like, I'm from Vancouver. And we're having this whole conversation with masks on. <laughs> and then finally she's like, she, I'm like, yeah, we're about to make a, a psych movie. Uh, I do the show. I did the show psych or whatever. And she was like, I thought I recognized you. That's why I said hi. And then she's like, I, I, I did psych. <laughs> I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, it was like the sorority episode. I'm like, take your mask off for a second. And we took our masks off and we ended up having a whole moment. Uh, very. These were all so funny. And it is going back to the blinking, blinking, blinking kitty cat <clears throat> clock scene. <clears throat> There's a moment, Maggie, your, your voice goes up like an entire octave pitch. Mm-hmm. Which was no, it did. There's a whole run in that scene right after that where we go on, he's trying to guess my last name, which was a total Rodet improv on the day that was not in the script, that it was like Mary, and he was just supposed to sort of guess Baumgartner, and instead he goes on this whole run of all these weird, funny names, and I'm leading him to it, and they left it in. Which I think was uh, Landis' pitch as well, and, and, and Phil, which I was only too happy to oblige and yeah. and felt very landisy. Um like there are moments in that show where you really if you know if you've seen all of his movies, you, you really kind of feel where he was, you know, mm-hmm. pu- 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 putting his putting his little signature on. Or, yeah. On I'm sorry, let me interject one second. You have a very particular um history with um Landis, who was very um, shall we say, instrumental in you being the um artist you are. Can you tell us that story? HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients to your door, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week, so you get convenience without skimping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, saving you the wait in long lines and ensuring you don't waste money on excess food. HelloFresh has fit and wholesome recipes for satisfying and nutrition meals that you can feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, including low-calorie and low-carb-conscious options. Warm yourself up from the inside out with limited time recipes inspired by cozy classics from around the world, like beef tenderloin and cheese fondue, or miso sesame shrimp and bacon ramen. Yum. That sounds so good. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your order online or in the app. Easily change your delivery day, food preferences, and plan size, or skip a week whenever you need to. You guys, I know I talk about it all the time on here. Um, I'm a huge fan of HelloFresh. I feel like I've like learned to cook a bit more because of it. Every single detail is laid out for you. It is just so simple and it's so fast and it's so great. And the food is so good. Anyway, go to hellofresh.com slash pineapple16 and use code pineapple16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's hellofresh.com slash pineapple16 and use code pineapple16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. 
Well, American Werewolf in London is one of my favorite films of all time. And, and, and you were how old when you saw it? I was six years old when I saw that movie in a, in a theater uh, with people getting ripped apart and blood and guts everywhere. And yet uh, I was just, I was so inspired even as a child where I, I kind of came out of that movie, not knowing that I wanted to be a performer, but knowing that I wanted to be a part of the magic that was movie making. I thought maybe at that point I was destined to become the next great uh, creature effects makeup artist. Uh, so like for the next 10 years, maybe less, yeah, probably the next five years when kids were going around saying they wanted to be a fireman or a cop or, you know, pro ball player, I was saying I wanted to be the next Rick Baker, uh, because of American werewolf in London, but also, but also because he was able to walk that very fine line between comedy and horror, which have become like the two genres that I feel most informed, uh, my work. Uh, which so few people can do and do uh, effectively. And I just think he, he just, he nailed it in that movie. And to an extent, I feel like we've been playing catch up ever, ever since. So to get to work with him uh, and watch him sort of use his sensibilities on our show and then like could basically be taking notes the whole time, knowing that I wanted to direct our show as well. It was just... It was such a gift. And, you know, the second time he came up to do American duos, we, he and I went to dinner and I, I at that point felt comfortable enough sort of uh, confiding in him about my own ambitions and, and how badly I wanted to get behind the camera. And he just pulled out a napkin right there at the table. And he was like, I'm going to give you filmmaking 101 and, and this is all you need to know. And he, he's basically, you know, he talked, talked about what a master is and what coverage is and you know the not jumping the line and he did it with a pen and a napkin while we were waiting for our dinners to come that's and just, amazing and was like wow. you, do, you keep you keep this napkin that's filmmaking <laughs> wow how far how long after you walked out of the movie theater seeing american world in london at six did your mom or dad take you to the child psychologist <laughs> You know, it's something my mom to this day has struggled with whether or not that was good parenting or bad parenting, uh, because it wasn't just that movie. I was I was allowed to see a lot of horror movies at a very early age. Wasn't allowed to watch any boobies like I had to cover my eyes if there was if the if the human anatomy was exposed. Of course, you're an American. But blood but and I, guts. I could watch people's throats getting ripped out, like uh, <laughs> wow. decapitations, the worst stuff you can think of. That was all good. But no boobies. No so boobies. I, I didn't know there was this shower sex scene in American World from London until <laughs> I was about 12. Uh, so 12, you could see boobies. Talk about a bonus, right? Realizing <laughs> that your favorite movie also also had boobies in it this whole time. <laughs> oh, that's so good. What was, uh, so where was Gravy in the timeline of all of this? Um, your, because you had written it, right? Did Landis know about it? I did, yeah. I had written Gravy uh, right before we shot the pilot, so like I, I was already peddling that script. Yeah. When, when we started uh, making Psych, cannot tell and our audience what Gravy is. Gravy is a movie that I finally was able to make uh, in 2013. The yeah, the the our last hiatus before we before our final season. Right. The, um, right before season eight. 
but it took it took eight years uh, to get that movie made. And John did read it. Uh, he was one of the the early sort of people that weighed in and gave it his seal of approval, which of course meant a great deal to me. It just shows how long you have like horror comedy has been in your like how much you love that. So much so that I it was very important to me that that be the the thing that I sort of did first. Like you can only make your first movie once. It's the same advice I would give to anyone who who's going to make a first film. It's just like, look, just remember, um, this is your opportunity to say, hey, here's here's my voice. You know, for better or for worse, uh, this is actually who I am as a filmmaker. And and then if it's if it works, great. And people watch it. It's a all of that stuff is is gravy, pun intended. But if it doesn't, at least at least you have no regrets. At least you're not you're not going back saying, ah, oh, I wish I had made that movie for myself mm-hmm. and, and not for somebody else, because that's ultimately not who I am. That's 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 not what I want to put out. Like put out what you want to put out, bet on yourself. And that's why I waited eight years and finally got to make the movie that I wanted to make. And tens and tens and tens and tens of people have now seen it. And uh <laughs> And it's very gra- it's very satisfying. Twenty three have seen this one. I'm pretty sure most of our listeners have seen it, but just in case, guys, go see Gravy. It's fantastic, and uh, and uh, tell your friends. Um, I love that. But to circle back to to Scary Sherry, and and because we were talking mm-hmm. about uh, Bianca and Eden, like this the supporting uh, performances in that episode are very strong. Like like everyone the the other sister betty who like breaks down in the chief's office like alex, uh, breckenridge alex was great so good i saw i thought that again watching it i was like oh my god what she's doing there and like looking at you oh my gosh james there's a moment where where uh you're i think you were so helpful, like in the scenes, like if, if like we were setting it, you know, uh, you sometimes, especially when you're doing comedy and you have to emote and have tears and like all of that, like, it's nice to have a little walkthrough, talk through or whatever. And I remember that day you were so helpful. She was right there ready to, you know, em- em- emotional. And there's one shot where it kind of cuts back and it's a little wide toward the end of the scene where where she like gives her last kind of like cry and you're you look like a cheer like a happy cheerleader because you were you were like cheering her on like helping her coaching her through that scene a little bit and it was it's so cute and I was like oh that's James that's actually yeah. not Sean I know <laughs> that was he had his director hat on and he's actually very happy and very proud like you were beaming and it's funny it's like I don't I don't think he's supposed to be beaming here but I know why he's yeah. beaming I know um, the moment you're talking about because it's it's when she realizes that what she's done is a crime yes she's like manslaughter her, re- her, re- her, reaction, her reaction is so great it was like that's it that's the one we got it uh and then a young we have a young baby shannon woodward running around oh, so good so good yeah that was good like we had an eye for casting we always did but uh that episode in particular was just again everything just sort of felt like we had a little lift. Yeah, it was great. We have a lot of fan questions. So I I may... Oh, wait, I will mention the pineapple sighting, um, which is, is pretty obvious, obvious in this one. <laughs> I was about to say. Um, so if, if you guys don't know or you missed it, it means you didn't watch the episode. You don't even have to look for it. Um, so Sean asks Alex if she would like to, uh, to split a pineapple in a way to, uh, you know, disarm 
the uh, the situation because she's already so on edge. Everybody wants to talk to her. Um, hey, would you? Are you guys down to uh, jump into some fan stuff? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, these are fun. Um, so, okay, was the axe real, and was that a difficult scene to shoot? Well, that's that. I can tell you, we. I think we probably had a, a real axe and a prop axe, but you were the one that had to do it. So that you should, it, it yeah. was. Yeah, I thought about. So most of the scene, I think, was done with a with a fake axe. But I think both of us, I, I wanted it to look real, so I still wanted to wanted it to be like weighted. I think I may have used the real one a couple of times, but the moment, also a very Landis moment, when when. It goes right past my face and I look and I kind of, my eyes go wide. That is a real ax inches from my face. God bless Dan Shea. Cause he did it. And I remember it saying like our stunt coordinator, Dan Shea. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh, for, for, uh, for our audience members who don't know. Um, he was our stunt coordinator. He was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And, uh, yeah, when we shot that, I remember Landis coming up to me and saying, you know, for it to work because you had to see it going through the wall or in the wall, it's going to have to be real. Are you okay with that? (laughs) I was like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down for whatever. Um, and we did it about three times. That was it. So that was good. But, um, I know at that point it was real, which was a, which was crazy. Did anybody get hurt? Do you remember? Were there any bumps bumps or bruises on that one? No one. I know you got, I know you, you got hurt in the sh- in the fight with with Mina that one time like somebody's hand from the shotgun or something oh yeah the hand the, the, the shotgun pinched or some very something pinchy. happened very yeah. pinchy but um no i don't think anyone got hurt it's funny i had the thought was you at the uh when you when you kind of rub your finger along the axe was that moment an improv what am i anxious about these days The better question would be, what am I not anxious about? From COVID to socializing to season two of the podcast starting soon, there's a lot to be anxious about in 2022, but Relief Band can help. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent anxiety-induced nausea and vomiting. Deal with nausea from motion sickness, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, or chemotherapy. Relief Band helps with that too. You guys, it does everything. It does everything. How it works is Relief Band stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of your brain that controls nausea from anxiety or other ailments. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you are sick. It's like the name says. It's legitimately a band you wear on your wrist to give you relief from nausea caused by things like anxiety. And you change the intensity depending on how you are feeling to make it stronger or weaker. It is that simple. What I love about Relief Band is that atop helping my anxiety, which is uh, huge. You guys know I love wine. You know, you can just have like a wine headache and it helps after after some wine. Plus the product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy and provides all natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. Relief Band makes a great gift for any time of the year. Right now, they've got an exclusive offer just for the Psychologists Are In listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code PINEAPPLE, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 
30-day back money guarantee. That's the best offer you'll find for Relief Band anywhere, but you have to use my code. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code pineapple for 20% off plus free shipping. It's a really good deal, you guys. I don't know, but watching it back this morning, it was like, what? What was it? Why are you doing that? Like, <laughs> what is that moment? Uh, I think it's just a funny moment because you're like, you're like, is this real? Is this even real? I don't know. Oh, got it. Got but it. I love when she says to you, what would you do for your best? You know, if it was your best friend, what would you do? Like that was played so honestly and, and like real. It was that, yeah, we, we went for something real there. Um, the investment to Shannon Woodward, our, our amazing guest right now. Yeah. yeah. And I also remember that there was an additional scene that did not make the cut that I was a little disappointed in because I thought it was good between you and the chief uh, at the end there where she was waiting at the bottom after all all, the whole thing had gone down and we caught caught Alice. And it was a scene like lady to lady where, you know, she gave you like a vote of confidence and said, you know, it was just straight Bechtel goodness that we didn't even know what to call it back then. So of course, of course, again, I remember, <laughs> I don't remember yeah. what I said, but I remember the moment. I do remember having a little moment with her. Yeah. I, I remember thinking it was nice and that it was kind of important. And because it was basically her giving you some validation as a junior detective, but also reminding you that it's not going to get any easier. Uh, to kind of set the table for like, Hey, uh, we don't get to mess up the same way that the guys do. It was something in that in yeah. that world. You have and to, um, yeah. You almost have to be perfect. That's um, what the scene was, if I recall. Right, and, uh, and it didn't make it. Damn oh it. well. <laughs> maybe maybe there's some footage somewhere or on a DVD extra somewhere that the psychos can find. Can find I do, that. I do remember the episode came in very long. And mm. uh, I noticed and, something in when Lasser and Sean run in in the middle of the uh, the axe fight. Yeah, it's not Lassiter saving O'Hara because O'Hara already had had it taken care of. She had her stuff handled, so just Lassiter was sort of was like there for backup with this with the gun. Yeah, yes, but but the problem was she had a look in her eye like she was going to kill Alice. So I, we all I, had to I, sort of diffuse. <laughs> you have to talk me that moment too. That's another thing that I love uh, about the episode is that. That, like those moments, even cutting back to Gus a million times, swinging and, and his foot stuck and, and being scared. But the moment you take the axe and you guys are both there and, and also for, for Lassiter and Sean to both have a moment of like, we're in this together. Um, cause you guys are coming up the stairs, but then, but then, um, uh, it really stays on the, that moment with, uh, when you take the axe away of like, oh God, what is, am I not, am I okay? I'm not okay. Yeah. I think that's not think okay. The, I think that was the payoff of, of Juliet going way too hard when she, when she goes undercover that, uh, she kind of, she lost herself in that moment and she had just almost been killed by this person and was now standing above her with an ax. It got and, real, uh, real. It got, it got real, real. It got real, real. Um, uh, but yeah, that was a. That, I think that might have been the first time that we we recognized that Sean and Lassiter, no matter how much their adversaries, definitely have 
Juliet in common mm-hmm. and, and wanting to make sure that she's safe and, and supported. And that stuff with Dulé swinging his belt around <sighs> Oh, so, just, so funny. Can we just talk about Dulé for a second and Mrs. Pickles? <laughs> that, what'd you say, Tim? It's the first Mrs. Pickles. It's beyond what he does, the the crying, and then when you're just casually eating the cupcake and he sees you and then he has to like, w- w- every time he has to one-up his level of like tears to keep her attention. Oh, I was like, God, he's so, I I mean, everybody, I think had really just come into their, like we, we had been in our groove for a little bit, but I felt like this episode just showcased everybody. Tim, you at the end too, when you realize how people perceive you or what the chief says and that whole bit of you walking out and you don't say a word. It's just, and we we go through everything with you of like that setting in, waving to people and then seeing us having a good time and you being left out and then us. Saying, ugh, ugh, ugh. It was such a sweet way to end that season, I thought. My favorite my favorite beats of, of the whole season was um, you guys throwing me, the, throwing last for the, uh, yeah, it's like he really gets, shook by the fact that when the chief is saying how um he basically he realizes nobody likes when he has no friends walking on seeing that moment it's really much a um you guys playing cards from animal house oh right i didn't even think about that and of course and it was just a t- it was just the tiniest gesture that says hey we still have a huge chasm uh between us but heading into the second season there was a glint of appreciation which is you know that's that's all you needed there. Joms, this is for you. Why did you decide to make this a Juliet-centric episode? Well, as we sort of alluded to earlier, it's something that we hadn't done yet and we're excited about doing. And, and frankly, this was our last shot in the first season. So uh it was it was what it was the engine behind behind this episode more than anything else was okay, it's Juliet's turn. Um, because she she was due. Uh, you had been great. You had been very patient in understanding that, like, we had to establish a show, and you know the studio will tell you to make your pilot, you know, fifteen times in season one. And you know, we were trying to sort of find that balance between you know doing what the people paying for the show wanted us to do, and also starting to find our own way. And it was a great way to reward you for a first season of like dutiful. Uh, support acting. Um, I remember when you gave it to me to read the first time. I'm pretty sure I cried. <laughs> pretty sure I cried. No, I'm just serious. It was like, I mean, that's sort of my dream thing too, which I think probably by that time we talked about or you knew was just even to to throw this, the comedy into the character and everything else. It really was. I I I, I remember being really floored. It was it was literally my dream up like it was a dream. Yeah. And you crushed it. And from that from that point forward, there was no hesitation when it came to like, you know, giving Juliet jokes, putting Juliet in a silly situation, physical comedy, like all of that stuff was in this play. Is by far my, my favorite performance of yours, Maggie. Oh, Any- Tim. Thanks. Yeah. Now, everything I wrote down in my very professional notes, like Every choice you make is just inspired and brilliant at this. 
Oh, Tim, thanks. That's so sweet. I mean, honestly, I was directed and had a, it was written so. Even the little walk that you came up with, that you. That you did till the very end, like until you <laughs> until you walked into that room with the, yeah. the the dolls and the and the pentagram. Like up until that moment, you never broke. But you wrote all of the. I mean, one of my favorite lines in the script was uh, was uh, well, this is this is very extensive. Candlewise. Candlewise. Yeah. Candlewise. And I remember seeing this is very extensive and it was a dot 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 candlewise. Like it that's what I mean. It was all it was all there. That's when it's fun because you have the full um you have all that support from the writing to the directing to the like whatever. I just like this was it's this was just like, oh, I just get to play. It was so fun. There's a really special moment I had on this on this one where um in the shoot in the firing range scene with Goochberg. <laughs> yeah. Where, um, she, I tell it like, you know, she picks up my 357 Magnum and, and breaks it. Like, and breaks it. So this, there's the shot of it falling down and breaking. And uh, Landis, who, um, like, the, the influence Landis had on you was, I mean, similar with me, where his movies, I mean, let's, for those who don't know, it's Trading Places, Blues Brothers. Animal House, all seminal movies in my taste of comedy, which made me sort of the comedic actor that I was today. And um, so he he gave me a direction there. He said, "Where when the um, he goes the reaction I want when you see the gun smashed was uh, he said remember in Animal House when they're getting kicked out of the um, the home the the fraternity house and Belushi sees the um, the bottle of Jack just shatter in front of him. He says, I want that same reaction." It's like it's as if you see you saw just saw a baby's skull being crushed. <laughs> that literally just got like filled with just goosebumps. Like I just got the same direction he gave John Bellucci. Mm. Absolutely darn exciting to me. So cool. It was so cool. It's also there's another um first in this movie. It's the first time we in this episode we got it's the first time we got to see um O'Hara's char, chartreuse bug, Volkswagen bug. It's right. That's when we established oh the, the Juliet mobile. Yeah. Oh, and that's boy, right. Boy, did we stick with that. Damn. Oh man. It's uh it's still I mean, I I I thought maybe in Odyssey when she drives off and it has its own special shot, that that would be maybe it. Nope. Back in in movie 1, back in movie 2 and back in movie 3. Yeah, she uh she's got priorities when it comes to how she spends her money and uh, as long as the car's running, it's good. Maybe she's just superstitious. It's kept her safe for so long, and she's like, "Look, until it tells me it's yeah. ready to throw in the towel, then I'm I'm gonna." Well, maybe drive. she replaced it with the same model and the same color. Maybe that's just she loves it so much that uh, she's, she's a practical woman. Yeah, very. She has very practical. Uh, I love the shot where you pull up to the to the house in that final scene. What we see, I think the, that model car actually had a, a flower vase attached to the dashboard. It did. It and did. Big pink flower. There is a flower <laughs> in there. Your, um, your Pepto Bismo pink um, Argyle sweater. Yes, Pepto Pepto pink uh, joms. In case you every accessory you had in this in this episode was that bright bright Pepto pink. pink. Online shopping isn't slowing down anytime soon. Is your business ready to keep up the pace with ShipStation? You will never have to worry about shipping again. 
Make the switch to a solution that handles all your shipping needs quickly, affordably, and painlessly. ShipStation is already trusted by over 100,000 e-commerce sellers. Keep track of orders from any sales channel. Easily find the best shipping character with deeply discounted rates. Automate just about any shipping task with just a few clicks. I love ShipStation because it's so quick and it gives you discounted shipping labels for all of your online orders, which gets super duper expensive. I order a lot of stuff online. It's super easy to use, just a few clicks, and then you can spend more time selling and less time shipping. Save money when you compare carrier options and choose the best shipping solution every time. And save by funneling all your orders into one simple interface, no matter what you're selling. Ship more in less time with ShipStation. Use my offer code, PINEAPPLE, to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free shipping. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in PINEAPPLE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Uh, it definitely had a flower in it. I remember that so well because I remember that was a when that bug, when that version of the the beetle came out, the commercial was that you could put flowers in a little vase and like whatever. And so I, you know, of course I had to. Of course Juliet had to. Um, what was your favorite scene in this episode? Oof. That's tough. I I think just because it was so unmistakably landis-esque this is the scene with sean and gus and all the girls when he's initially like reading bianca and and you've got the shot of you know gus being in heaven because he's surrounded by college co-eds and and uh juliet judging the whole thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. silently from from her post the ridiculousness of the the lights going on and off three times all culminating with the Sean and Gus running out screaming it this it was it was a sequence that uh, up until that point um you know i don't i don't think we had done anything on on our show where you could say oh that's blank and and that sequence was land dis that's what that was so uh i, would I think i would agree i i mean i obviously love the axe fight I really loved that. I love that scene with Alex in the office with the chief. Just, I think I love Mrs. Pickles. Um, and and one of my favorite lines in the Goochberg was, I took a crowbar to an eye socket during a sangria party gone wrong. Gone wrong. Okay. Yeah. So every time, and there were a couple lines in this. I'm like, I've never heard this line before. Like I, I literally, I felt like, and I've seen this episode quite a bit, just like discovered some things. But um, yeah, that was one of my favorite moments. I know that wasn't a full scene, but yeah. That was, that I, that whole uh, storyline uh, with Steve Franks. Like, so funny. Every, every joke, every moment. Um, that was just him having a blast with, uh, with that. Oh, I just re- remembered another thing that didn't make the cut for time was when Sean crawls through the doggy door to get into the house, he had to confront a giant mastiff. Right. Who, uh, and there was like a Cujo bit and ultimately made friends with it. And then the dog, like I remember putting peanut butter on my face so that the dog could like go from being scary to being a big teddy bear and, and essentially licking my face off, which I of course enjoyed. Um, (laughs) 
not only because it was a mastiff and I love the big dogs, but just having my face licked off was fantastic. Um, oh yeah, some peanut butter with you. That's right. Didn't make the cut, but it was uh, another fun fact of of something that that uh, is on a blooper reel that we that did I've shoot. Seen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll find that. We're gonna put. Po- we'll find it and and put it up. Uh, I'll find it in one of the bloopers and put it up for uh for this episode this week. Tim, what was your favorite scene? The same one that James had said when um Bianca's telling the the kitty cat clock story in the beginning. Okay, it's 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 Chalon Simmons, right? Or Simons? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it Chalan? We should say Chalan. Right? Chalan. I don't. I'm. I think it was Chalan. As they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She was great. So great. That scene was everything. That scene sets the whole tone of the whole show. It's so good. So good. Yeah, and, um, and, watching, and re-watching for the rewatch psych podcast. That we do. Watching, I um, was really struck by how amazing this and much I had loved this episode. I'd forgotten. Yeah, because again, it's been, it's been like how many years since I first watched it came out? Yeah, it's been a, the full run. And it also, I can't remember, but it might have been the first time we planted the uh, the runner of Gus being Bud from the Cosby Show. Oh yeah, I think that might uh, Gus being Bud from the Cosby Show. Oh yeah, absolutely, first time. Yeah. So that that became a thing. <laughs> Last year, got his very own human person in one of these. I think I can't remember who he's talking to. He says, "You're the last human person I want to be talking to right now." <laughs> <laughs> oh, human person, yes. <laughs> And the uh, the run out of the sorority house, you and Dulé running out screaming is, I think, up there with one of the, probably in the top three runs, uh, yeah. screaming runs you guys had on the show. Which became a thing as well. So we also birthed yeah, some... I've, I've guessed parents by... Um, Uh-oh! Wait! You gotta stick your face in Is there. that Jensen? It's Jensen Daggett. Oh my oh God! Oh my goodness! <laughs> What an appearance. We actually talked about you, Jensen. We talked about you a couple episodes ago, and we were talking about the moment when we met, and we were like, mini-me. And we're like, yeah. Yeah, we talked about the last week's episode. Mini-me by, I don't know, two decades or something. By just two months. Hi. Hi, Jensen. I hope you're having fun. We're having a ball. I love that you just, like, leapt through. Like, you were doing a dance for us. And yes. tell Mark, tell Mark that I flossed this morning. Yeah. Right. Oh. Your best. <laughs> tell Mark I need to know I, I need to make an appointment. I will. I will okay. do that. All right, you guys have fun. <laughs> Bye, Jensen. Bye, Jensen. Just you guys. Jensen Daggett. That is hilarious. <laughs> and we did just talk about her last last episode. And her husband Mark is uh everyone's dentist. <laughs> That's right. Dr. Mark Shimla of Beverly Hills. Shimla. Um, all right, back to our fans. Uh, if you were to start an urban legend, what would it be? This is a tough one. That's right. Boy, the guys started an urban legend. Um, that was another silly thing that yeah. <laughs> lives within this episode. Is and that, then they find out it's never happened. Yeah, that girl never jumped. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, I don't know. Again, that feels hard. Hang on. Was Cher from Clueless an inspiration for Maggie's role or Legally Blonde? What what were you pulling from there? I I actually don't think I pulled much. I may be clueless more than Legally Blonde for sure. I think Um, it was definitely clueless. Yeah. And the walk, like that kind of stuff, I definitely think was more clueless. Plus, I was just more 
I know Clueless more uh, than I know Legally Blonde. So that would have been naturally what was in my like, my my head, my thinking, my repertoire of things. But that wasn't, was that for you? Oh, that was all whatever you wanted to do and however right. you wanted to bring that to life. I don't think we had anybody in mind except, yeah. oh, Maggie, you'll have fun doing this. And I did. I had way too much fun. I had, I, I think I did go into like a little mourning period when it was, uh, when this episode was over. Um, was the bud thing improvised? No, I think that's a joke that, that we had also been waiting to make. Mm. Um, that one was, it's possible that we, that we had put it in previously and it didn't make the cut. So we, we still had it out there. Like it was still available. And in that moment it was like, Oh, this is perfect. Because he also calls it back too. Right. Uh, Who calls when he's sitting having tea and cupcakes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, you look a little like this in her, in her yeah. Irish. But, yeah. Sorry, when Poppy first showed up, I thought, uh, oh, she's just a hoity, 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 hoity. Yeah. <laughs> is it a hoity, 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 hoity? Jones, there is. from Glasgow or Edinburgh. So she's Scottish. I don't know who that actress was, but. <laughs> it doesn't matter. What's happening here? It was the right accent at the right time that we didn't oh, know we needed. It was so, but, so, so good. But yeah, anytime you can undercut Gus when he's really feeling himself, and that was just <laughs> that was just the perfect opportunity to to drop Bud in there, uh, because he, you know, he thought that he was he's Poor really own, owning the moment. Yeah, with, with the young coeds. I love it. Those okay. are our uh... thing. Mrs. Pickles, uh-huh. <laughs> Maggie as an undercover sorority girl with the highest pitched voice I've ever heard you ever make. <laughs> yep. God, so good, James Roday. So good, James Roday. I um, those are our fan questions. I I was just looking through my notes again um, at our Chad Michael Murray reference uh, that we did a few times. Um, that yeah. was probably the first Chad Michael Murray reference because it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't negative in any way. No, right. right. That's so it right. It had to have been the it had to have been the first because once we started bringing him up, he was only brought up as an evil. And the thing is, I've never met, I've never met the dude. I I've only, I've only heard stories, but it didn't matter. It was certainly enough at the time. Uh, Cause I thought it would be funny to have a runner where it was funny. Uh, Sean and Gus just, just did not, did not put up with, with the Chad Michael Murray of it all. <laughs> that was pre the pre mentalist uh, uh, days. Because then we then we got to to do that. Yeah, we shifted, we pivoted over to mentalist jokes. I noticed that um, Doreen's last name is Harthen. Yeah. Yes. Best friend named Todd. I would. That's right. Years later, he would join the staff, but at that point, he had just been represented by a little name of a dead character, which we did. We yep. did to a lot of friends of ours. We yes, but I did uh, think about you guys because. Um, I think we had met Todd at that point and people kind of knew your, you know, uh, knew of him. I don't, I can't remember if he'd come up at that point yet or not, but when you say, uh, when she says, what would you do for your best friend? I was like, oh, I had a moment watching it this, this morning where I was like, oh, that's, uh, he actually has that best friend. Yeah, hundred percent. Which is why I've always I was always able to tap into that element so easily and seamlessly. And you know, Dulé has his older brother, and yeah. I think both of us always sort of like that was the easiest 
sort of element of like, oh, we know what we know what this is. Yeah. And, and if you Sean doesn't answer the question in in the episode either, because I think end of the day he might have he might have done the same thing. That's what <laughs> I know? love about it. I love about I love that there's a moment of like, I, okay. I don't, I, I can't answer that question. I don't know. Sorry, you got caught. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Anybody else want to add anything for our, I mean, I, I could go on and on and on about this episode just because. Uh, Sorry, kids, I've lost all audio. We're just talking about the way your body feels when you've been sitting in front of a fire for too long. <laughs> <laughs> Which feels warm. It feels yeah. warm. It feels warm. Yeah. Extra it can have. Extra huggable. Extra, no, extra huggable. Oh, great. Extra huggable. That That's you. That's me. Talking about, talking about you being extra warm and extra huggable, especially when you've been sitting by a fire. Yep. <laughs> Good stuff. Top, top tier stuff. Top tier stuff. Um, this is our finale. This is our finale of season one, and it is our, because um, we're doing a rewatch uh, podcast, our finale of uh, of our first season of The Psychologists Are In. And, um, well done, you two. We, Tim. Look at Tim. Look at Get a whole season. Get a whole season under your belts. And, and, and it feels like we just started. I can't believe we've been through the, the whole first season. And... James, I'm sure. I mean, I know because um, why would you? You lived this. Why would you listen to all these episodes? But um, we've had so much fun. It has been such a uh, uh, trip for both of us going back and remembering all of this. And we get to hang out with each other, too, which is um, one of our favorite things to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, you're a dynamic duo. Uh it gives sort of some it gives some purpose to the journey that we all went on that we can look back and relive it and add perspective and and see it from where we are now in our lives it's pretty crazy it's like a super fun thing to do and as always as sort of a last sort of thought about scary sherry we we always have to say uh thank you to steve franks because again you know this this was like so many things about psych uh, this was him having, you know, the, the generosity to say, Hey, let's try something, uh, that was a little bit outside of his comfort zone and, and a little bit outside of his wheelhouse. And as a result, it opened up a whole, a whole new sort of door of, of where we, where we could go with the show. And his openness as, as you've said from the very beginning and, and truly he really did stand by from the very beginning in our first interview with him which was that he had this no a-hole policy. And and th that, I think a lot of people say that and hope for that and, you know, egos happen, is, stuff happens and whatever. But he really, really meant it and he really stood by it. And he really also meant when he told you, I know that was such a big thing for you going into a show, uh, James, like the the collaboration part and being a part like to invite you in I assumed as most would that that you would have gone to him to say I want to write an episode this season so when you said on the first episode you did for us here that he actually brought it up to you these are this is kind of unheard of like some of the stuff that he did was like it it is it is so rare and so special and I I I feel like going back and and like telling the stories has sort of like put all of that in a, in a real, um, 
a magical little bubble that he created from, you know, just from being him. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the minutia, especially when you're like, when you're on the journey and, and it's always about like, how do we make this episode as good as it can possibly be? And then one episode becomes a hundred episodes. And I think I certainly was guilty of losing sight sometimes um, of the bigger picture, which was always that, like, God, we have so much autonomy. We have so much agency over these characters and over the stories that we're telling. It's just absurd. And I think a part of it was just that refreshingly, he had never done it before. And like, you know, he'd yet to be sort of corrupted by whatever the rules are supposed to be. And he was just sort of doing it the way that he would do it, which is really different than the way that everybody else was doing it. Yep. And he's such a family man too. He created our, he created a family. And, and then we all got to have this, we're still that all this time later. Um, I love you guys. And thank you. Um, Joms, thank you. And Tim, thank you. And um, thank you for writing Scary Sherry. I really do think you're right. I mean, I, I really don't know uh, the turns that my character would have had. And I also, the show, I mean, I, I, as you were saying that, like, if it failed, because between Tuesday the 17th, between the Yin Yang trilogy, like, you know, these are some pretty dark uh, places we get to go and still be our show because of, you know, you and your talent and understanding, but also this, this sort of setting the tone for that across the board. It, it really was a, a game changer. It was an important one. Luckily you knocked it out of the park for all of us. <laughs> Luckily you wrote it. So <laughs> thank you. Oh yeah. I got one little thing I want to say more Take. mostly. Well, James, a, I love you. Love and, you. uh, love B, Maggie, both. I love you. Thank you for, Send me that text one day and saying, "Hey, do you want to do a podcast?" <laughs> First, like you're watching, I'm going, "What's a, what's a rewatch podcast?" Yeah, because this has been such a joy for my. Uh, these have been the highlights of my month, getting to re- sit down and opposite opposite the computer screen from you. You're and gonna make talk me cry. About this show that we love. My, me too, Tim. Me too. I look so forward to it and our conversations that we have five minutes before and the phone call we're going to have as soon as we hang out. Hey, hey, Maggie, you have not only podcast the shit out of this episode, you podcast <gasps> the shit out of this entire season. Tim! Of the psychologists are in. You podcasted the shit out of this entire season. We, we podcasted, podcasted the shit out of, the shit out of this. Yes, we did. Because as Dulé would say, this is how we do, do it. Do it. Bum, 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 bum. I, I mean, there it is. Mwah. There it is. See you guys all right, soon. Bye, bye. bye. What a special episode. Thank you all again for listening to episode 16 of The Psychologists Are In. And thank you for being the best fans in the world, the best psychos. You guys know, I mean, you know how much we love you uh, and appreciate you, but truly, um, thank you for listening. You know, we are not us without you. So thank you. We love you all so much. And uh, luckily, we have a lot more to do. So we will see you real soon. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.